Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Curtis landed an internship on his first feature film, 
marriage material directed by Jody Podolsky. The film starred Leslie Ann Warren and James Rohan and Alan Aubach and Michael Silver. Curtis was offered a paid set production assistant position on Out of Sight, directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez and Ving Rhames. And then came numerous other movies that uh, that Curtis worked with. I'm having a little bit of trouble because the window that is opened up, uh, there we go, was grayed out, and I was having trouble uh, even beginning being able to see his uh, Curtis's uh, bio- biographical information. Let me just say that Curtis has done scores of movies. He was on one that uh, that we share a connection with. Terry Green directed No God, No Master, and probably many others. But you know what? I want to bring Curtis on and just let him uh, talk, and and for you to get to know him if you don't already. So, Curtis, how are you? Hey, good morning, Rex. I'm doing fine. Good morning. I'm sorry about that intro. Uh, the, great, my window in this studio got grayed out so that I can't even see what I was looking at. It made it very difficult, and, and rather than belabor us, uh, you know, something I, I wasn't able to accomplish, I, I wanted to just get you back on. Yeah, um, nice. It's been a while since you've been on the show, but you provided absolutely stellar information the, the first two times, and I and I uh, advise and, and invite people to go back and listen to those. Um, but we're going to continue our discussion about being a first AD. Uh, can you tell? Can you catch us up a little bit? We haven't talked on the air live in maybe a year or so. So um, you want to take us through some of uh, the experience, through some of what you've been doing in the in the past? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, in the past year, I did a uh, a very beautiful, beautiful film called A Late Quartet, which. Uh, Hopefully, will be coming out sometime in 2012. Um, it starred um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Christopher Walken, Catherine Keener. Uh, it was directed by a man named Yaron Zilberman. Um, it's actually his second film, first uh, narrative in the in that sense. Uh, his first film was a documentary, um, and I've also been doing some television this year as well. Um, for the Cartoon Network for the Adult Swim programming. Um, The third season of a show called Delocated, um, about a character who is in the witness protection program but runs around New York City with a ski mask on. So, uh, yeah, that's how I uh, I spent most uh, most of 2011. (laughs) Wow, wow, very cool. Very cool. Well, you you are a first AD. Can you tell a little bit about, uh, for those who don't know, what it takes to become a, a union first AD? I, I know I hadn't asked you to go through this, but but uh, um, give people somewhat an understanding of, of how people, I mean, they can get in as a PA and they can work up and they can finally get into the AD part, department and work as, you know, Yes, seconds, seconds or thirds, and, and but what does it take? Let's 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 go into that just a little bit, so people have an understanding of of what a professional AD goes through in order to do what they do. Sure, there's um actually a couple of different ways to get into the Directors Guild of America. Um, one, you could go through the training program, the trainee program uh, that the DGA offers. Uh, however, they only accept just a small handful of people every year. Um, and, you know, you compete with thousands of others to get into that program. But once you're in it, it's a pretty decent program. Um, it's a two-year program where you basically are assigned to different film and television productions around uh, your, you know, your area, whether it's in the Midwest, on the East Coast or the West Coast. And, 
you learn the ins and outs of uh, all three positions of a first AD. I mean, of an AD, a first, a second, or a second, second. You deal with the paperwork and how to communicate with the producers and why certain pieces of information is important. Uh, you work with a second AD and formulating a um, call sheet and uh, going through the ins and outs of putting together the next day. And you also get to work closely with the first AD as well, figuring out, you know, why certain decisions are made to accomplish the work that you're doing today. Um, and like I said, it's a two-year program, and once you come through the program, the trainee program, after the two years, uh, you are officially um, a professional AD. Um, you'd be considered a second AD, um, a second-second AD, rather. And the other way, if you don't go through the trainee program, um, is you can basically work your way up the ranks, uh, which is what I've what I've done. I worked on numerous projects, both union and non-union, DGA and non-DGA, and worked my way up as a production assistant um, until I started a dean uh, as a second, second, a second, and then a first, and. When, you know, sometimes the guild comes knocking on your door or sometimes you want to make that pursuit on your own and you have a, a certain amount of paperwork that you must submit to show that you've worked on um, several shows. And what they want is they want an accumulative number of days. Uh, and I, forget, I don't know what that number is. It, it used to be somewhere, like if you were a PA, like 600 days to show that you have actual set experience and you've been there long enough to gain, you know, at least the time spent is enough time to have gained a certain amount of experience to where the DGA can say, okay, well, you qualify uh, as becoming a second-second assistant director up under our guild. Um, I actually joined the DGA as a first AD because I had been working as a first AD um, outside of the union for several years. Uh, before I joined, and so what I had to submit uh, to become a DGA, first AD, was paperwork showing a certain number of days working as a first AD, which happens to be actually less, less days than a PA. Um, I think it was it was up under 300. It might have been like 275 or something like that. Um, and they divide that up into how many days you're on set and how many days you prep a show. Uh, and so they want to make sure that you know um, all of the aspects that an AD needs to know uh, for running a show. So those are the two ways of becoming a professional assistant director. Awesome, awesome. Now, as a first AD, let's just very kind of briefly backtrack, we, because we've covered these in, in two other episodes, but but the, the role, the duties of a first AD uh, on a set and, and during pre-production you know what is the role? I mean, how, how can we best describe that? And then we'll go into discussing some techniques that you use. So you want to know the the roles of each AD? I'm sorry. Uh, just of, of, of what you do. You're for just just to catch listeners up if they're listening for the first time. The first AD does what? He runs the set. He does what? 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 Or as, she? What is? It? As as the first AD, uh, you basically you you break down the script. You uh, formulate a schedule uh, based on the amount of time that the producers give you. Um, you know, they could say, all right, we have 30 days. Our budget is $3 million. 
here's the script, you know, let us know what will it take. And it's your responsibility as a first AD to say, okay, well, 30 days is generous or 30 days is not enough. Um, and you have to make a recommendation to the producers and the director of, you know, either we have to add more days or we have to trim the script, make some edits or cuts. So the first responsibility is breaking down the script and making sure that you can actually make a schedule based on their budget. And once um, you come to an agreement on however many days, how how big the script is, you go ahead and you make the schedule. Um, and there's so many variables that goes into putting together a schedule for production, um, actor schedules, location schedules, uh, things that need to be built um, or created, manufactured or whatever by the art department, um, just so many things, weather conditions that you have to factor into, day versus night. So you put together a schedule. Uh, you know, basically a first AD has anywhere between four to eight weeks of pre-production um, on a small, on an independent film. And then you go into production for, you know, anywhere between four to six to seven weeks um, and once you're in production, the AD's responsibility is to execute that schedule, basically in charge of managing all of the production elements on a set. Um, the director is responsible for all creative aspects, and the AD supports the director by making sure, you know, any props are in place, uh, a timeline for the day is laid out and that, you know, all elements fall in line with that timeline and that schedule for today to accomplish all of the work inside of a 12-hour period. Um, and, you know, there are various rules from every union um, in regards to getting through the day, the shooting day. So there's there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot inside of a... And I, go ahead. I'm sorry. There's there's a lot of elements inside of a production day that an AD has to think about or anticipate while in the pre-production phase in order to get through that day. Well, and you're also the the chief safety person, and and you're also, you you know, you have to determine whether or not a stunt or a gag is going to work. I mean, you've got lots of different decisions. Um, How do you juggle all of that? How do you coordinate that? And especially when it comes to scheduling, when you say, you know, there's actor schedules, location schedules, there's all these different things. How do you, how do you begin to sort that out for for the for the person who's uh, either wanting to be a first AD or they're already in, you know, they're already in the training or they're 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 working on an independent film, you know, in in some capacities. What how, what kind of tips or suggestions can you give them in terms of the techniques that you use? for kind of sorting through all this information and having it make sense for you? Well, the first thing is, you know, it's funny. Uh, to answer that, I'll use an example of something that I usually tell all creative departments, you know, because there's a budget involved in every single department. <clears throat> right, uh, right. So usually um, when a director gets with his creative team, and they start asking or having discussions about how to make, you know, certain aspects of the film happen, sometimes those creative heads will hesitate um, to offer up some suggestions, or sometimes, rather, a director will hesitate in allowing them to, 
be forthcoming with some of their their best ideas because of the budgetary restraints. So I always tell them, listen, it's up to the producers to worry about budgetary concerns. You know, what you should do is you should you should actually present your best idea to the director. And I use that same principle as a first AD when it comes to putting these elements together. It's going to be up to a producer to tell me as to whether or not we can afford a stunt coordinator or stunt drivers or, you know, a special effects team. So when I go through a script and I start seeing all these elements that jump out as a first AD, I am going to automatically put that as part of my breakdown. I'm going to automatically put in an effects team. You know, if we're work, if we're doing snow and it's a wintertime film, I'm not going to rely on natural snow being our elements. I'm going to, every time we're outside, I'm going to put in a special effects team. And then what you do is when you start to have the conversations and you work with the producers as to, well, this is what we can afford, this is what we can't afford, you negotiate and you trim down the number of times that you use that special uh, ability person or team, and what you do is you try to consolidate. If they only give you four days of a special effects team, then it's my duty to consolidate all of the work into the four day, into those four days. You know, or go back to the director and see if there's something that we can do in another aspect of compromise. So, as first AD, safety is first, and to me, safety means having that special ability person on set to deal with this element that's in the script. And so I always use that principle, too, that I'm going to put the best foot forward first. And then, you know, not saying that because of the budgetary constraints, I'm not still putting my best foot forward, but if I'm limited, I'm going to make my limitations after presenting, you know, what I consider to be the absolute fullest need for the production. This is fascinating, and, and let me kind of uh, tease some things out to make sure that, that I understand. Um, and that is, as the first AD, if, let's say you said snow is an element, you're not, you're not going to just trust that there's snow on the ground even in the winter when you're shooting. Is that is that correct? You said you're going to bring in a special right. effects team. All right, meaning that the snow needs to match from day to day or from shot, scene to scene or shot to shot. Um, so you would have, you, you're going to schedule... Uh, special effects, even though there's snow on the ground. Yes, that's and correct. And then, yeah, and then you're gonna, and then you're gonna work with the department, the director, in terms of how many actual days you may need them. I mean, in other words, this 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 number of days may get whittled down on the schedule. That's correct. I mean, and I just to give you an example, um, I've done three films come to the top of my head. Two of them were uh-huh. winter. Uh, two of them were wintertime movies, one in New York and one in Minnesota. Uh, and we dealt with that issue in both of them, where we did plan to have a special effects team uh, in the budget. We couldn't necessarily afford to have them the amount of days that, that I had uh, initially put into the schedule. So we consolidated. Um, and we whatever we couldn't shoot outside what we did was we took the scene if it was able to and made it an interior scene. However, the director still wanted to incorporate uh, wintertime elements. So as opposed to having an entire special effects team, uh, once we could no longer afford them, the scenes that we moved to be interior, we incorporated a window um, that we could still see the outside, 
there was real snow. However, in order to make the effect of having snow fall, we, it required less of a team, maybe one person from the special effects department or team, and you know, which it's a compromise for the line producer in terms of budget. It's cheaper to hire one person to create a smaller effect than to have a team of 12 people creating this big, wide scope of an effect. Uh-huh. Now, is there ever a situation arise that we're talking about snow or snowfall, and is there ever a, how do you, how do you account for a situation where you go, okay, I've scheduled a special effects team, and guess what? We don't need them today. Meaning because of the actual real snow? Yeah. I mean, real, does, that ever ha- does that ever happen where you go, okay, geez, you know, I thought I might, you know, I wanted them there just in case, but I don't need yeah, them there. Yeah, I mean, that that actually does happen as well. Um, you know, it, uh, <laughs> I remember the first day, was it the first day of shooting? Um, yeah, it was. It was the first day of shooting on this film that I did called Thin Ice in Minnesota, and we basically had a blizzard the first day. <laughs> we had a blizzard the first day. We were shooting our exterior scenes, and uh, we didn't need the special effects team. Um, you know, but they stay. You don't send them home. You have them there on standby, you know, because the real elements are unpredictable. This, you could start off shooting the scene with snowfall, and then eventually it'll stop, and you still have to do work. <laughs> Well, and, and and therein also is a, is another question, and that is okay. Now you start off the you know your shoot with a blizzard. Now this is something that you're not controlling. It's just you're shooting the natural elements. Now do you need now do you need to rely more on that special effects team to um, in, if your if your shoot is extended, I mean through through that snowfall to match that particular amount of snow. Absolutely. I mean, you know, just on the other side of, of of that, you know, I did another film in Santa Cruz, California, where we actually, and let me see, it was the wintertime, right? So, yeah, well, we, the element that we had to deal with rain was rain, but it was even further north in California that we were hearing about mudslides and so forth, and Santa Cruz is like right in the middle of the state right. of California. So we weren't so much concerned about the weather. We were going to be shooting in a redwood forest. It was a horror film. And, you know, so as far as effects, we were not anticipating or thinking about any rain effects. We were more concerned with, like, smoke and fog and stuff like that, you know, for a horror film and other special effects elements that, you know, makeup effects, that kind of stuff. So it just so happened on our first night of shooting, which came, I think, like the third or fourth day of shooting on a major scene that was like in the middle of one of the continuity story days, it rained. It rained heavily uh, to the point where we were shooting our entire film pretty much outside, and we did not want a, um, we didn't want a cover set. The director actually opted to go with rain. So we we accommodated um, what we needed to for the night, and we continued to shoot in the rain. However, something that wasn't budgeted now needed to be budgeted and scheduled into the shoot. We now needed to match the heavy rain that we got that night anytime we were shooting that continuity story day, pieces of the story that happened before and after that moment. And so now, in the middle of production, I had to go through the schedule and let the producers know, okay, 
these are the days that we're scheduled to shoot the other parts of this continuity day, you know, which right. I was about seven of them. And the producers come back to me, and, of course, they're like, Curtis, we can't afford that. We can't afford uh, a full-on rain effect with another team for seven days. You know, how many days can we cut it down to? So, you know, it's that's a big ordeal. Like, you know, now that, you know, we're up and we're on our feet, the camera's up and we're rolling, that's a big ordeal. It's a, it's a lot to think about and try to figure out, well, how can I consolidate now? You know, we're running. So, but I had to do it, you know, as part of the job. And um, and I figured a way to cut it down to about four days, uh, which, you know, was more acceptable to the producers as opposed to seven days. So, And and, and therein is, a, you know, a large part of your job. I mean, even, I mean, it's, it's not just scheduling a movie in advance of the shoot during pre-production, but what is going on on a daily basis and accounting for all the, the turns and variables and changes that come up and then scheduling or rescheduling as needed. I mean, you know, you're you're working on the fly as well and and in the situation you just described, I mean, you're also working with the the line producers and producers in terms of trying to come up with a solution for you know, how how we can make this happen with the money that we've got. And or then line producers at that point too have to decide: Do I put the money over here, or do I, you know, do they start juggling stuff around while you're rescheduling things? I mean, there's a lot, there's a flurry of activity that's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of things, you know. And again, that's where come being an AD um, who thinks quick and fast on your feet comes into play. I mean, you know, and it, it, it might sound weird, you know, that uh, okay. You know, I'm saying that an AD is the one that is asked all these questions and sort of like given permission to, like for instance, when I gave the example of, hey, we have the special effects team here, and you know, uh, we have a real blizzard, we have snow, can we send them home? Because everybody, you know, is either hired on a day rate or an hourly rate, and, and whenever a producer can save money, they want to. So, you know, that question always comes to a first AD first. Can we send this person home? Well, again, I'm going to go back to I want to provide for the production the best thing that I can, so I'm going to say no, based on the reason that I gave before. Right. You know, what if the elements stop? But you're constantly thinking. An AD has to be thinking about the next three things that are coming up. You know, you can't simply think about only what you're on right now. You got to be troubleshooting, anticipating. What if this isn't ready? You know, if it's not ready, what do you go to next? Um, it's it's uh, it's a lot to think about. And how do you communicate that? I mean, in other words, if you're thinking of the next three things, you're thinking of where's the next setup, and then after that, and then what do we do tomorrow? And I mean, all these different things. Who are you communicating this information to? Where they're going to run and execute or help you? you know, execute what needs to be done? Well, I can, me personally, I communicate to everybody. Like, the thoughts are in my head. You know, just to give an example, I I recently just had a day um, last week where I could see we were, there was potential with being about three or four hours ahead of schedule. Um, and so, therefore, I started checking in with the props department for a major prop element uh, that I was hearing whispers about that we had not had on set yet. So I go to that person directly, and I ask them, well, is that element here? 
you know, because I need to make a decision on what to do next. When that person tells me that that element is not here, then I say, okay, I need you to start getting on the phone, see how fast you can get it here. Now, so that that's, you know, one plan. One plan of what I wanted to do next, I probably can't do it. Now i got to think about, well, if I can't do that, what do we do next? You know, again, being ahead of schedule. That also means I don't have the actors that I need here. They have a different call time. So I communicate with the second AD, and I let that person know what my plan is and say, okay, uh, get them on the phone, send the car, let's pick them up, let's get them here. Then there is also, we also ran into an issue of day versus night. You know, we were so far in advance of our schedule, I needed to know if two of our sets, if there was a way to shoot them day for night because uh, it was so early in our day. So one of the sets we could not do day for night. We needed to wait for real night because we had so many windows in the space that we would have been affected, you know, by a long lighting setup to shoot it day for night. But the other set we were able to shoot day for night. So I sent the Griffin Electric Department to that set to start getting it set up. So it's like that. that's just one example of, like, what goes on throughout the day. You know, and that's an example of being, it's a good problem to have. You're ahead of schedule. You know, right, right. the other side of the coin where you're behind schedule and you got to start figuring out, well, if you're not going to make these scenes today, when do you pick them up? When do you make them? You know, and it could be a different problem. It could be just one problem that could affect the whole day altogether, and you just got to start figuring out how to solve it. But an AD has to be more than just present. They have to be in the future also. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so, so, and let me ask you, how much do you insulate the director? I mean, your job is to help the director get the the, the vision up on the screen, and he's concentrating on performance, and he's working with the cinematographer, and he's on the set, you know, with with all of that that's going on. And meanwhile, I mean, you're really running everything else. You're you're taking care. I mean, you're running that too, but you you now have to step aside and handle all of these other issues. And and as you say, work into the future as well, and, and try and coordinate things. So, in the case of the snow, for example, and the you know the cutting it down to four days. I mean, ultimately you have to discuss with the director, you know. Uh, but but at kind of at what point? I mean, how do you how do you how do you work with a director in these cases where there's these changes like this, or or you wait until they're all set and then go to the director, or does it d- depend on who you're working with and yeah. What kind of relationship you have? It definitely depends on who I'm working with. I mean, to be truthful, most of the directors that I work with, pretty much all of them, they I build a good enough relationship, working a working relationship where they trust me. They trust my decisions, my choices. Usually my schedules for most of the projects that I do are pretty much on point. Um I'm pretty uh-huh. good with estimates. I'm pretty good with knowing how long it takes for every department to do what they need to do. And I'm also pretty good after the first two or three days of shooting, knowing how fast or how not so fast a director will be with shooting a scene. So it's I also consider it a part of my job to protect the director from as much as possible. So I don't bother a director with anything until it's a problem that I need them to actually be involved with, you know, uh and they'll they usually follow my lead most of them um 
But uh, I do inform them. If we're changing the plan for the day, obviously, once I know that I can actually change it after I've asked all these questions and run around and talk to the different departments, you know, and involve the, the second AD in certain things, I will let a director know that the plan is changing once all of the balls are actively rolling and I've got positive feedback from everything. If there's negative feedback, then I'll just keep changing the plan until it is positive. I won't get I won't take anything negative to the director. Very cool. I mean, it's very cool because I do I, I do want to talk about how you you know we you, you build relationships with directors and, and certainly the crew and the cast. Um, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to get outside of the notion of what you do to schedule. Now, um, let me let me ask you a question from the chat room. I mean, one of the questions Jake asks. Uh, he asks two actually, and and we have one that uh, we were going to discuss. So he says, do, "Do you still use physical cut and case? I'm sorry, physical cut and paste boards for scheduling, or do you use scheduling software?" And um, I don't. The, the question now just scrolled right out from. Yeah, I think from, I can. Here we go. He um, said, uh, "Or do you use a program?" And I, I guess he means if he if you use one, if he, uh, most people would be curious, probably which one you use. And then and then the uh, well yeah, it, well this question is is one that we were going to talk about. You know, um, generally the first AD he he says has to be the heavy on the set. So how does he deal with emotions and relationships of the crew? And the, and that what we had discussed is is you know how do you push without yelling? How do you you know how do you how do you build relationships and then and then get people to comply and do things as needed without without being a jerk essentially, right? Yeah. Well, listen um, to answer the first question, I. I use um, EP Scheduling, which is a software program, um, and also Movie Magic, same thing. It's another uh, piece of software for scheduling. Um, it is a film industry standard for television and uh, movies to use this uh, material. However, before I get into using those programs, I'm still very much old school where I break down a script um, I break down my script and color code with using uh, pencils, colored pencils. Colored um, pencils and, and, a, and a ruler and, and, and going through with the eight pages in the whole? Absolutely. It's part of the uh -huh. whole process for me. Um, I can't speak for everybody because I do know a few people who do everything electronically. They pull up, you know, three and four windows and they break their script down while it's on the, pay, on the computer and just implement the data. Um, and they do that, you know, for time's sake for some of them. For me, as part of my process of getting whatever project that I'm working on deeply embedded into my head, it forces me to read the script several times, you know, because uh, I do everything individually. I, I first read the script when I'm going to meet for the potential uh, of doing the job. Then I read the script after I've actually gotten the job. Then I read the script to start breaking it down. And I do that only with the colored pencils. Then I do it one more time with my ruler for a page count. And then I'm reading it as I start to implement the data. Now I know that sounds like a lot, but for me, for all the years that I've been doing it, it, um, it allows me to never really have to pick up that script again. <laughs> Uh, and have that movie, that film, or that TV show so embedded in my head that any time a conversation comes up about can this be done or continuity or can this be cut out or what happens after this, I'm able to answer it. I've read it so many times, and I've not just read it, but I've worked with it. 
I know what the elements are involved in it. So I'm very much old school in that aspect, but I do use the software to actually move my board around and work on the schedule. I also use a calendar, a um, at-a-glance calendar with a bunch of Post-its, and I move those around um, before I actually jump into the to the board. Um, I use that in the office so that most of the staff who's working on the show can be involved. They can see what's kind of going on in my head, what I'm thinking about. Um, so, yeah, that's to answer the first question. Um, awesome. Then the second question in regards to being the heavy um, on set and, you know, basically dealing with the crew and emotions. Um, I often tell people that a good part of being an AD is psychology. And uh, no one taught me that. No one told me. I never picked up on it uh, coming up, you know, in the business as a PA or a second or second second. Or rather, I'll say, yeah, a second or second second. I discovered it once I started first AD and I really, you know, started to own that position. There are so many people who need to be, who needs attention, I guess you could say, on set, and how they respond to what 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 they bring to you, or how they respond to the commands or orders or requests that you give them. You know, you have to um, sometimes kind of coddle them. Sometimes, you know, you can't be as easygoing with some people. They respond to people who are just more direct and firm and, you know, not irate or belligerent, but just, you know, dealing a little bit more with a a harder hand, a more aggressive hand. Um, it You have to feel your crew out. You know, the cool thing about me working in New York City is I know so many of the people that I work with already when uh when I go into a project and it's crewed up you know and they're telling me oh this is our production designer you know or this is our locations manager and the this is our DP I know these people already you know the majority of them you know there are some newbies for me um uh, on every show of course but for the most part there's usually some people in the key position that I already know and I already know how they work so but I think the best way of dealing with any crew in general is knowing how to properly communicate. Um, being the heavy on set basically means it's your responsibility, your responsibility to make sure that the amount of work that is scheduled for the day actually gets completed. You put that schedule together as a first AD weeks ago, so now you know you have to make sure that we actually do it. Now, every department is accountable for what it is in their department. Now, you know, as an example, I'll tell you, every single props department that I work with, almost every single one, waits till you're on that specific scene before they get those prop elements working. And it's usually the props department that has probably the most to deal with any scene, any given scene, you know. Uh, if it's violins that all of your characters need to be using or if your characters are sitting at a table having a conversation and they're eating wine and cheese and fruit, you know, those are props. They all need to be set and it needs to be addressed. What are we eating? 
is whether it's the director that answers that question or if it's the actors that are answering that question. And sometimes, or most of the time, the props department does not like to get these elements ready until the first AD says, okay, we're on to scene such and such. And then they ask those questions. Well, that may mean that someone in the props department has to go out and make a run. That may mean that it's going to take me 20 minutes longer before starting the scene than it would have if they already had those elements. So that's where me being in first AD comes into play and communicating properly. You know, rather than waiting till I'm done with this scene, again, I'm thinking about the future, three scenes ahead. You know, I'm talking to the props department already. You know, I'm asking the DP if the next set, if we're not already shooting on it, um, can is there anything that the lighting crew can be doing right now? You know, it's up to the first AD to make sure that we make that day. If you want to make that day, then you communicate to the crew properly. We're all there to work. If it's a side, if the crew have enough people in their department, then there's always someone who can be left on set to deal with what we're doing right now, and then someone else can be getting prepped the things that are coming up in the next scene or the scene following that. So that's how, you know, as a first D, you can try to deal with communicating in a manner that, you know, that's proper, professional. Now, some people do get emotional, whether it's overexcited, whether it's angry, testy, you know, whatever it is. And you you may have to contend with that. You know, sometimes it's about knowing how to approach that person. You know, as a, as me personally, as a first AD, I try to infuse humor into most things that I say. I often tell people, even if you see me laugh behind it, I meant what I said. I mean what 99% of the time. You know, if it comes off as a joke, I still meant it, you know, do we have time for this? As far as I'm concerned, we never have time. Twelve hours in a day go by so fast for me, you know. So I never make people believe that we have more time than what we have, you know, but I never put anyone in a panic either. I always try to convey a sense of urgency in my conversation, um, maybe sometimes in my tone, but never with my attitude of, you know, you got to hurry up now, right now. This should have been done three weeks ago. You know, I'm not saying that that's, you know, I never have those moments, but it's rare. It's very much rare. Uh, and I often blame myself if someone's not ready for something based on, you know, I could have communicated that to them uh, 20 minutes ago, you know. Um, so... So that's how I pretty much deal with, you know, pushing a crew without having to yell. It's proper communication, looking ahead. We all have the schedule. We all have the call sheet. The call sheet has its elements on it, you know, and if things might change, let's start having those conversations right now with the right people, you know. Yeah, that's, that's that's great. Curtis, I'm going to have to take a, a break right about now. I, I really appreciate that. And I'll come back. I want to ask you a, a follow-up question to that regarding uh, time and schedule and, 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 and overtime. So if if I get caught up and forget, remind me. But, uh, okay. Uh, you're listening to a Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official website is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. All of these interviews and Curtis's previous interviews are archived right there at the Interviews blog. 
you go click on the interviews blog and up will come a faceplate. There's a search function right up at the top. You can type in my guest name and up will come, you know, any of, of their interviews. Uh, or you can scroll through the uh, through the archives. But whenever you get to the interviews blog and you look at a guest, they have a biography page. You can read about them. You can read about Curtis. And then inside there are links to listen to the show live or archived. They're also available at podcasts at iTunes stores, so I suggest that you get them. But please, most importantly, share them. Uh, if you promote the site and you promote these interviews, you help us extend our reach to other people around the world and filmmakers who desperately, some, in some cases, need need the advice that's being dispensed by, by my expert guests. So please do share. Please leave comments both during and after the show. You can tweet live. You can put this on your Facebook wall or anybody's Facebook wall, mine included. But, but the point is, is to, to help us spread the word and help share it. Do it by leaving comments, by following us, by by promoting the show. We sure appreciate it. Just a, a couple comments. Peter Marshall is coming back um, on the 20th. We're going to continue the director's series. I think we're at part 14 for that. And then director and acting coach Anthony Mandel will be uh, coming up on the 21st. And uh, he's also got a new book coming out about acting, his approach to acting. Um, so you're going to want to listen to both those. That's going to take us through the end of the year. And then we'll come back in January with more amazing guests, both those that are returning and those are here for the very first time. Um, and so, um, again, share and uh, and listen, learn, and enjoy. And thank you so much for being here uh, live or archived. Curtis, um, you said a moment ago that, you know, if something is amiss, you know, you kind of put it on yourself. And uh, because, you know, it's it's under your um, purview. It's under it's under your it's it, your domain is a set and all the things that happen. And you're orchestrating all these different departments and coordinating it. And you've made the schedule and now you're trying to fulfill the schedule at 12 hours in a day. Um, it's it's fast for you because one, I mean, you're you're occupied throughout the entire day. You're busy. You're dealing with everybody. It's a much longer day for somebody who like drops off, you know, a, a cable and then goes and sits on the back of a truck. But for those people who are totally involved, like you are, I mean, it's completely, you know, I mean, it it, it goes by. It can be long and arduous and hard, but it still seems oftentimes that it goes by really fast. Now, what happens? I mean, there are different contracts today than there were, say, 40 years ago, but there's, you know, ultra-low budget and there's, you know, low budget and there's there's union shoots and non-union shoots and partially union shoots and, and there's there's different – but let's pretend. Let's just go with a complete a full union shoot, cast and crew. What happens? You've made the schedule and somewhere things slow down. You you talked about being you know three or four hours ahead. What happens if you start falling three or four hours behind? And and depending on who's responsible for that, how how what do you do? How do you work with that? And and at the end of the day, is it the producers that come to you and go, "This is your fault because we are behind," or do they go to this you know the, the, the camera to the cinematographer and go, "Well, you're too slow. You need to speed it up." And you know, or to the director. I mean, who's gonna, who's going to take the heat and how is it going to be resolved? Well, I mean, uh, yes, it's usually a first AD that they come to first. I mean, I, at least I, when I say they, I mean the producer team. Sure. Um, and I include in the producer team the line producer, production manager, all of those folks. But they right. will come to me first as a first AD to figure out, okay. And the question usually starts with, hey, Curtis, how far behind are we? Because I'm using coming with my schedule for the day. I share it. This is our timeline. They can see. 
they can follow along and see, okay, uh, we're three scenes behind. What what are what do you what is the plan? What are we gonna do? So they have a lot of expectations when they actually first approach me, you know. And again, this is where my thinking into the future has to come into play. Now, when we start to fall behind, um, that's where I will start having conversations with the director. Um, I will start to try and figure out uh, what do we, what can I do to help, you know. Because um, a lot of times when you start to fall behind, it usually happens one, I mean, there's so many different things that could be the problem, but lately sure. it's, you know, if you're taking a little bit longer lighting, if the estimate was off. Estimates can sometimes be off by a half hour, an hour, you know, where do you buy that back? Where do you get it, you know? Uh, could it be that the scene is not written well? You know, the actors are having difficulties with it, and there's a lot of conversation going on with the director in regards to the scene. You know, the set is lit, the set is ready. All of this is happening, you know? I mean, so you just can't, you kind of got to choose your moments when you talk to the to the people or to the source. And, of course, me as the first AD, you know, I have to be that person to, like, kind of jump in there. Uh, sometimes I can call the producers over to before they even approach me, you know, um, and start saying, hey, listen, you know, this is what's going on. I can clearly tell you what the problem is. The problem is the DP's estimate's gone over, and he's trying to light it a certain way, da 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 You know, how do we solve this? Can we get the director involved and say, hey, this looks good, we must stop, we must go now, you know, or if it's the second problem that I said, like, you know, actors and director discussing script and making it make more sense to them all, who steps in then? Because this is the creative, you know, this isn't the look where you can say, yes, we'll pass and we'll go with this. Now you're talking creative, you know, script elements. And that is the director's responsibility, but it's also a producer's responsibility as well. So you call them over and you start to talk and you say, okay, listen, listen to this conversation. And if they can't, you know, I fill them in. This is what's going on. This is who's having a problem with what. You know, he doesn't really know how to solve it. Not yet. I think he just needs to think about it. You know, so the question starts to become, well, do we strike do we stop working on this and move on to the next thing? You know, how is the next thing affected by this thing? Um, what what choice do we make? What decision do we make? You know, do we not shoot it right now? Like what what you know? So a lot of questions get asked and answers must be provided. You know, there's a yes or a no to pretty much all of them. You can't really stand for an I don't know because you have to make a move. You know. Sometimes, uh, so when you're getting three and four hours behind, that means you're likely to not finish something for the day, you know, nine times out of ten. It's that 1% chance that you just might still be able to make your day if, you know, you can make the director and the DP realize, okay, we've just spent a third of our day working on something that should have taken a much smaller fraction of our day to do. Now, either we, you know, realize that we're going to lose the rest of the day, and losing the rest of the day could mean a few things. It could mean we're never coming back to this location. So that means 
either you cut these scenes or you rewrite these scenes to fit in another location. Could they happen somewhere else? You know, or do we need to start talking to the locations manager to get this location for another day, for tomorrow? What does it mean? Again, there's so many variables that usually the only person who's thinking of every variable is an AD, maybe a line producer, but it's an AD. So when you're starting to fall behind, again, an AD's mind is still not simply on the present, but in the future. And if you're behind, you got to figure out what to do with the material that you're not going to be able to shoot that day. And you got to make recommendations. You got to be able to recommend to the director, recommend to the producers. You know, could we do this? What do you think about? What do you think about Plan A, B, or C? Wow, well, that's, I mean, you know, there's so much. I mean, I, you know, obviously, I mean, we, I could sit here and talk to you for 12 hours, and, and we wouldn't have even scratched the surface of all the different decisions that need to be made. Now, when you run behind it in a case like that, you also, and especially in a full union shoot, you end up with, geez, you know, lots of extra dollars being spent and penalties and overtime and, and stuff. I mean, the, the you know, the it's not as if there aren't consequences and, and um, I got a couple questions though, uh, that I want to ask you too. One is you mentioned you know it could be an actor, you know, or the actors or, or what's going on on the set. And I want to ask you something about that in a second. But first, let me ask you this question: What about the DP that takes forever to light? You know, I mean, it just so happens that the DP is slow or the gaffing. And what what? How often or, or can you kind of? Tell us with the whole, you know, when you walk in and you 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 block, you light, you you know, you rehearse, you know, tweak and shoot kind of thing. Where where you are when you uh, and how you approach these people? Like, do you do you say, okay, how much time do you need to light, or you know the the DP by reputation? In some cases, you don't have to ask, or if you do ask, how many times you ask, or if they are slow, how do you prod them along or not? I mean, that kind of uh, situation. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's a good question and for that role specifically because it, it comes up quite often. The biggest concern about having a DP who is not fast, who is actually slow, who has a reputation for being slow, is always a concern for everyone because their work is beautiful. You know, a slow right. DP keeps finding work because their work is gorgeous they're going to make your movie look amazing. They're going to come up with ideas and uh, shot compositions that you love, producers love. It's going to give you a fabulous finished product. But the big question is, will you finish your product, you know, based on their pace, their speed? Now, there's two ways of, of, of being able to address something like this. And I've been in both situations uh now, I've worked with a DP who was slow, and I've worked on several movies with a certain DP. So, therefore, after the first and second film with them, I know how to schedule a movie with that person. I also make sure that there are certain elements in the pre-production phase that I am definitely involved in with them. For instance, in their walkthrough of the script with the director. A lot of times as an AD, I won't be a part of that conversation. But with this particular DP, I made sure that I was there. 
I wanted to know how big the ideas were going to be. What is the scope of the aesthetic, the visual look of this movie? And then when they start to shot list, I make it a point to be in the room, to be very much involved, to be verbal and communicating with them and going about it so that I can make sure that I am putting together a schedule that's going to accommodate having this DP on this show. Now, I've also done a couple of shows where the DP has had that reputation, but it's my first time working with them. And everyone involved knows that that DP has a reputation of being slow. Um, the producers, the director, in fact, it's mentioned several times. So what do you do in this situation? Well, the person who has to remember it the most is actually going to be the first AD again. Mm -hmm. And you have to anticipate and prepare for it. Now, there's a couple of different ways. You don't know how slow the DP is. You don't know until you get there on days one and two and put the camera up and see what's going to happen. Now, what I tend to like to do anyway as a first AD is I like to make sure that psychologically we all feel like we're succeeding in our first couple of days of shooting. So I make the first, at least the first two days, all the days need to be manageable and makeable, but I purposely make sure that the first two days are a no-brainer, you know, in terms of, how much work is scheduled, knowing that we can accommodate it can accommodate our twelve hour a day or less. Now, if you have a DP whose reputation is slow, what you as a first AD I can recommend to do is to under schedule a show where you would probably schedule a little bit more, make the days a little bit lighter, and schedule them in a way where you can add on material. You know, even if it means. Uh, if you schedule a particular location for two days, you know, is it really a day and a half? You know, and you have to have what I consider to be more quiet conversations with proper parties. You have a quiet conversation with the locations department and let them know, well, this is what we're going to be dealing with. I'm telling you off the bat, here's how uh, I am planning to do this show. You know, but you don't you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to start any arguments. You're not going to be walking around saying, "Oh, our DP is super slow, so we're doing things like this." No, these discussions actually usually happen before the DP steps into the office. Producers will tell me, "Okay, we got a slow DP." Director will tell me, "We have a slow DP. What can you do to help?" And so, therefore, I'm going to talk to the other departments, and I'm you know going to be as discreet as I possibly can, but I'm going to let them know. I'm going to underschedule a little bit, and I want to be able to pull scenes up. If we're moving a little bit faster, and I can tell that in our day, then we'll pull scenes up because some DPs you can push, even you know if they do have a, a slow reputation. For instance, the DP that I worked with on several movies, he was pushable. Me and him had a fabulous working relationship over time, and and I would tell him I could be upfront with him. I don't ever trust your estimates. You are always 50% off on your estimates every single time. Great. You know, so I could tell him. I'll ask him what his estimate is, and I'll double it. And I will schedule our days around it, you know, if I needed to add something to it, you know, or what have you. And because it got to the point where he also enjoyed having me in the um, shot listing phase of things, you know. Uh -huh. 
are, we all we all gain reputations. He started to know that he had a reputation for being slow. I can't say how every other AD he's ever worked with dealt with him, but I try to deal with him according to the way he works. And so, therefore, he has to feel like he's succeeding also. You know, you want to get the best out of everybody. It's to keep the morale up. You know, but for DPs that I'm working with for the very first time, I'm learning them. I'm learning it, and if they come with that reputation, then you got to build for that reputation. You, you know, especially, you know, um, I mean, I, I'm I'm fairly young in this business. I've done a lot of movies. I've done a ton, but I've only been working in this business uh, a little bit over a decade. And a lot of the DPs that I work with, a lot of them, the ones who are a little slower than most, are Oscar-winning DPs who have been doing this for the amount of years I've been alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. That's true. Just to be diplomatic, there's only – I can't be a jerk about pushing them. You know? Sure. I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah, I I was just going to say, like, I – I, it's not that I'm afraid to to tell them that we need to move faster, that we're moving too slow, because I'm not. And I have actually said those words to these DPs. And, you know, the response have been certain things like, it takes what it takes, or, you know, will they'll ask me, let's step out of here so that we're not talking in front of the crew or anyone else, and then to the top of their youngs, lungs, not yelling at me, but shouting their statement, I will not compromise my work for X, Y, and Z. That is my name that's going up on that screen. So they let me know where their concern is. Their concern is beauty. They're not concerned about a schedule. They're not concerned if there's not enough days or enough time to shoot this movie. They're going to be focused on this scene right now. So they're letting me know, you can try to push me all you want to, but you won't push me, you know. And but they they do you know they'll do two or <laughs> of that and then you know I'm like okay listen you know you're moving at a pace where you know we can't take it we have to move faster or I don't you know I can't be in this boat by myself it takes a little pleading and you know conversation <laughs> you know but it, it, I can't browbeat them but I also won't allow myself to be browbeat either so. Well, it it is amazing, and, and I have another question to, to to come back with. But it's amazing how many director friends of mine, as well as director acquaintances who who may be on the show, whatever, talk about you know working with DPs who who you know have no problem putting a director in his place. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're like, especially you know younger directors, in not in terms of age, but you know in terms of experience. Where the DP goes, oh, so that's what you think your shot is supposed to be like, or you know, where they almost are insulting on the set in front of in front of the crew, where you know, yeah. or the director says, I want to do this, and the and the and the DP says, no, no you don't. That's not no, that's not going to help. That's not what we're going to do. So when it comes to that kind of, do you do you do you go up and go, okay, you know, how many how much you know, do you go, uh, where are we, you know, how many more minutes are you going to need to light the set? I mean, do you do you ever walk in and 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 ask for a time count so that you can say, okay, we're going to shoot in fifteen minutes if always. or or do, you, yep, always, always, I, uh, yeah, that's a huge part of what I do, you know, and uh, I always get an estimate from a DP 
Um, and it is a definitely it's definitely a negotiation factor. The biggest estimate that I ever give a DP is at the beginning of a day, if, if we're in one location or the first scene in the location. And it's usually anywhere between 45 minutes and one hour. And, again, I always tell people, I say, listen, guys, here's where we are. We're in production. I say, it's it's rare for me to be able to give you more time. I say because the very word production means that we continue to keep moving forward. We produce. It's productive. I say all this time, you know, anything that takes more than an hour to get ready while we're in production on set, well, you know what? You need to have thought about that beforehand, you know, and and I'll help you think about it. If it means more manpower so that you can finish it in an hour, then that's what it means, you know. Um, but those DPs that do end up taking a little bit longer, you know, to light something, I get in there. It's like I, I don't, I can't just sit back and watch and let the time go by. I'm watching every light that goes up. I'm trying to, I, I mean, hey, the way that I watch a set and uh, being lit, I could almost be a DP myself because <laughs> right. I go in there and I try to understand what it is that the DP is doing. I'm trying to understand, like, how are you trying? What's not working? What is it that's not working for you? You know, where are the shadows falling? What What is the mood you're trying to set in here? Help me to understand where you are and why this is taking so long. You know, mm-hmm. um, because everything else is ready and everything else has been ready for X amount of period of time, and we have to move on. You know, it's a conversation. It's a plead moment with them. You know, it's a diplomatic approach um and it has to be had you know and the last thing that i ever want to do ever is get a producer involved i don't want to go to a producer for situations like this you know i want to be able to resolve these matters on my own on on set and and just and keep it moving if if it doesn't hurt us meaning that we are able to finish the day, we're actually able to complete everything in the day, then the producer will never ask a question, and I'll never have anything to say. You know, I just have to brace myself and get ready to go through it again the next day. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is this is excellent. I mean, there's so much useful information for, for people out there, not just for First AD, but for people who are directing or filmmakers or producers or whatever. I have a couple questions. Um, we have maybe about 15 minutes or so left in this session. I certainly want to have you back. I mean, I would love to continue this conversation if if, if you have time early in the next year. And I know that, uh, you know, I've already asked you to come back and, and talk in another capacity as well. But, uh, I mean, this is so fascinating. Let me ask you two questions around this one topic. First off, have you ever had an actor throw a tantrum and stalk off the set and sit in their trailer and delay a shoot? And if so, what happens at that point? And if not, you know, I mean. Yes, I have. Um, it's actually a funny story, too, and I will drop names here uh, on the right <laughs> show. <laughs> Movie <Okay. beat. laughs> and I There you have, go. It, it happened early this year, and I did a show with Christopher Walken. Uh, uh-huh. And Christopher Walken only threw one tantrum. He wasn't known for throwing tantrums. He had a, a pretty, you know, kind of a begrudging attitude, but he only threw one tantrum and stormed to his trailer and sat in his trailer and even when the director approached his trailer he slammed the door in the director's face 
Um, and a lot of it was based on the decision that I had made, uh, the the entire situation. Um, so it was a little unfortunate. But what had happened was we were running a little bit behind schedule the night before. We So we did a little overtime to finish up the day. By doing that overtime, that meant that, you know, we either start the day later the next day um, and, or give Christopher by giving Christopher Walken his turnaround or I flip the order of the day and do uh, another scene. And flipping the order of the day would have been too much of a hassle. Our set was already ready. The lighting time would have taken no time. Plus getting Christopher Walken ready, hair, makeup, and wardrobe took no time also. So what I opted to do was keep our schedule for the next morning as it is. And I gave Christopher Walken his turnaround, uh, meaning he got his 12 hours of rest period and then came to set. So I said, everything's going to work out. I said, the only beat that we will miss is we won't do a blocking rehearsal. I said, by us not doing a blocking rehearsal, what we'll do is we'll come in, we'll get the set lit. We know where – I knew the scene. Again, this comes from me reading the scripts and my process and so forth. The scene was very simple. He sat at the desk. The entire time, I knew how the director wanted to shoot it. It was a scene with him and Catherine Keener, just two actors. The blocking was simple. I could use the stand-ins to be in their position so that we can get the scene lit. So that's how I you know, chose to go about the day. I had the discussion with the director. I said to the director and to the DP, we won't do a, uh, an official blocking. We'll use the stand-ins to block it out. I said, because I'm giving Christopher his turnaround. I said, by the time uh, Christopher... Uh, shows up on set, uh, hair, makeup, wardrobe ready, we'll all be ready to shoot, and we won't have lost any time in the day, and I won't have had, you know, to do any corrections. Well, the only person that did not go over well with was Christopher Walken. <laughs> showed up the next morning. Showed up the next morning. Uh, rather than him coming to, because he knew the routine, he had been used to coming to set, doing the rehearsal, then go back, get dressed, get made up. So that particular morning, um, I had, you know, the uh, the person in the background have him start getting ready in makeup and get ready in wardrobe and then come to set. The next thing that I know, you know, my PA came over the walkie and she says, Curtis, uh, Mr. Walken's walking to set and he's walking faster than I've ever seen him walk before. <laughs> and I knew at that moment, I said, okay, he's not going to be happy that we blocked the scene without him. I, I knew it, and I told the director, you know, so he could brace himself before Mr. Walken walked through the door. Um, and that's exactly what it was. It's exactly what it was. He came on set. He saw that the entire set was lit and it was ready and where the scene was taking place. And he said, okay, um, so you guys have the set ready. He said, how is that the case? And I just arrived. You know, and he, you know, as much as a Christopher Walken's going to yell, he yelled. You know, he basically yelled at the director, at myself, at the DP. And then he stormed off. He said, now that you guys have blocked the scene, he said, you give me no choices. You've you've lit the scene, you've blocked the scene, you're not giving me any choice. Maybe I decided I wanted to sit over at the couch instead of at the desk. You know, and I wasn't going to speak up at that moment. You know, I'm letting the director talk. And he, he's first-time feature director, so it's his opportunity to tell him, okay, yes, you're right. You Maybe you could have sat at the, the couch. However, 
the scene calls for you to be looking at your computer as you're having this conversation. But whatever. The director never said anything. He took the yelling, let Christopher walk in, walk off set. He went back to his trailer. He slammed the door, and he didn't do anything for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. The director went there to try and calm him down, to talk to him, and he uh, slammed, he knocked on the door. Mr. Walken opened the door. He yelled a little bit more and slammed the door in the director's face. And the director came back to set, and he came to me, and, you know, he then he, you know, yelled at me a little bit and said, oh, I never wanted to do this. I never want to upset the actors. I told you that's the most important thing to me. And I said, I'm sorry, I apologize, I've made a choice and a decision to try and help get through the day. I said, but here's where we are right now. I said, I promise you, because I have seen this situation before, I said, he will not be upset for too long. Let him blow his smoke right now. We won't lose much time in the day. You know, I can give these few minutes. And I said, and everything will be fine. So the director went back upstairs. He went onto the set. He's up there. He's talking with the DP. I'm downstairs, you know, because now there's nothing to do. The set is ready. It's lit. I have an actor who just needs to cool down, but he's going to come back to set. We're going to shoot it. He's a professional. Man, I went upstairs because uh, my one of my PAs said, Curtis, I think you should come upstairs right away. The director had made the choice to undo all of the lighting on the set, put all of the furniture back in its original position, he said, let's do a rehearsal and give Christopher Walken what he wants, the rehearsal. I could have, I almost quit. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. I said, this was the wrong move to make. I said, he's going to come back to set and he's going to call all of us idiots. Because now what we're doing is now we're wasting time. Right. When he comes back to set, he'll be ready to shoot the scene. He'll be ready. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, it's my plan or scheme or anything to force anybody's hand. I'm saying how to get through this situation is you just let him cool down. We did what right. was done already. And very much, just like I said, when he came back to set, he looked around and he said, what's going on? He said, are you kidding me? He said, you guys undid the set? He said, you you told me where to sit. You told me where to be. You had it ready. He said, and now it's undone, and now I'm ready. You know, and he walked back off, and he went to his trailer again. And he said, call me when the set is ready again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's a lesson learned. Um, mm -hmm. And I work with a lot of first-time directors, and I don't blame anybody. It's, you know, people go off of their gut feeling sometimes. I definitely do a lot. I also go off of experience, you know. And like I said, I made a decision for the benefit of the production that day so that we didn't lose time, and it would have worked out if the only thing that we had to deal with was a tantrum. Then you deal with the tantrum, you know, you let him have it, you let him cool down, and then you proceed with the next, you know, with the rest. Um, actors do. They have tantrums. If an actor is screaming about something that they won't do, then that's when you have to start figuring out what to do, take a different approach, you know. Um, and it's very rare that I deal with something like that, that an actor has a tantrum about something they won't do. 
because um, I personally, I never put an actor in an unsafe situation, and they're definitely not going to be in a situation of something that wasn't in the script, so they should have knowledge of, like, whatever crazy thing has to be done, you know. And again, like I said at the outset of this conversation, I tend to make sure that we always have the the right uh, safety authority team or crew there for whatever we're doing. So I don't necessarily deal with a lot of tantrums, to be perfectly honest. Wow. Hey, uh, you know, we, we I, I got to apologize to you because we're almost out of time, and I wanted to be able to talk about uh, the projects you're producing and and uh, why at first AD makes a good uh, producer. I think, though, by listening to this, you can understand why an AD First AD makes a good producer, but I certainly want to talk to you. I don't want to give you the time, and I hate to do this to you on the air. Is and I could call you afterwards, and, and I mean I could tell the audience, hey, we're going to have you back. But if if there's any way we can have you back sooner rather than later, like or after the first of the year, I would really love to have you back so that Ab- you could talk. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely, that's a definite yes. Okay, well that's cool because because this is so riveting and so powerful. I, I, I really want to do. I do want to continue. And I had I had a further question that that along these lines about delays, and that was, you know, movies traditionally were made on film, and and part of the whole scheduling and budget was you know what you did with raw stock and and how much you could afford, and you had a shot ratio, and and uh, and you stuck to it usually, you know, for budget reasons and scheduling reasons. Now, the things have moved digital. People could technically, they could shoot forever on their cards and, and spend all their time uploading the data. But in the productions that you work on, for the most part, you know, in the new are they are they well-disciplined? Do they stick to the, the shot ratios? And if so, can you can you give some advice to filmmakers? Because, I mean, I see people all the time who go out and they've got a camera and they're more of the gun and run kind of stuff, but but they're trying to make a movie and they shoot all day long about things that probably, you know, they had covered, you know, 10 hours earlier. <laughs> I mean, it's just because they can and they, they don't have the discipline of having worked on film. Well, I'll tell you this, um, because I still, uh, I work on both films that are done on 35 millimeter and also some that I've started to do HD. Um, the uh-huh. ones that are shot on 35 millimeter, producers are still the same way. They do want to keep to um, the the ratio of what we shoot today. Um, and they are there are reminders. There are constant reminders. To me as a first AD and to the director and to the DP also, like, um, they will come to me and they'll say, okay, we, you know, yesterday we shot a thousand feet over our budget for the day. You know, let's just be mindful of that. Um, and it's little things, you know, about, you know, they may say, Curtis, let's just do one more rehearsal so that we do less takes. You know, now for shooting on video, there is something that I take advantage of. And like you said, shooting with that car, shooting all day long. What I like to do as a part of getting the momentum and the speed of everything up is I don't like to cut the camera, and I like to shoot the rehearsal. I constantly ask uh-huh. the directors, let's shoot the rehearsal because this is your first take. You know, If there are any mistakes in there, we can get it right on take two. And also, once we get to take two, I'm sorry, once we get to like take three or four, I ask the director, let's not cut the camera. Keep the momentum. Go right back into it right now. Just reset. Go again. Let's reset and let's start again. Um, and 
to me, those are the two differences between the two mediums um, of shooting right now. With film, you do have to take a little bit more time. You know, with video, you can keep going. And that's, you know, how I can accommodate for some DPs taking a little bit longer with lighting. If your lighting is set up and you don't have to get in there and keep tweaking, we can keep going. In fact, we will keep going. And I let the whole crew know. The camera's going to keep rolling for about two or three, and it's becoming very common. Let's do a series is how they slate it and what we call it. We'll do a series. We won't cut the camera. We'll do about three takes in a row without ever cutting the camera. Yeah. So it cuts down on the minutia of conversation and retweaking and so forth, and directors learn how to be brief with giving their directions and notes in between. You know, and as an AD, I call out that quick reminder. Cameras are still rolling. Camera's still rolling. All right, here we go. And action. All right, cut. Keep it rolling. Camera's still rolling. I give them like a 10 or 15-second window to throw in any notes and the time to reset. You know, but it keeps everybody at a fast pace, keeps them up. Are they can, are they slating or tail slating, or you just keep it rolling? I mean, uh... oh. When you when you huh. slate in the beginning as a series, that lets the uh, the post folks oh, know yeah. it's going to be three or four takes in a row. Got it. Okay, I, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, well, well, that is awesome. I mean, that was really uh, good advice. What do you do in the case? In I should say we've got four four minutes, but uh, what do you do in the case of of an actor? who is good on their fifth take and the other actor is good on their first take, you know, and, and things like that in, in terms of balancing a, a shoot. Does it, do you find that this, this works really well? Because now you, you got, if you're, I mean, if you're shooting master versus shooting, you know, singles. Yeah, no, and that is very common also. We learn very early. Um, it's usually a conversation between the director, myself, and the DP, uh, like on the third, somewhere like the third day of the shoot, we learn which actors need to be shot first. You know, they're up, they're fresh, they're ready, we're going to get the best takes. We learn which actor needs to be shot second because they need that warm-up and that build-up, and we play that accordingly. We know after, you know, two or three takes, you're getting the best that you're going to get out of this actor. So we turn around. Having that knowledge also plays into how fast you can move through a scene, through a day. You know, so it's there's a lot of things. That's why I try to, again, schedule the first two, three days of a shoot where, like I said, we all feel successful. It's an education because uh, most of the time I'm working with a first-time director. It's a day that's not so complex for him. You know, maybe it's two or three actors instead of eight actors, you know, and it is definitely still his leads so he can learn how to work with them. It's giving the DP an opportunity to learn how to like these people and work with these people. We all learn something in those first two or three days. So there, there is a, you know, it's a strategy behind scheduling the first couple of days of the shoot, at least from my perspective. That is fantastic, and we are going to be out of time. So let me just ask you this, if you will. Will you um, uh, give us the name of the movie that you're producing, and you're working with Rob Smithline, who we had on the other day, and the name of the movie is? Trust Us. Trust Us. And um, listeners can listen to Rob as well. Do you have the web address handy? You know what uh, the blog, blog or... Where you would send uh, well, people. people 
can follow Robert. He's uh, because he's a first-time director. He's given his experience. He's blogging about his first experience from development um, all the way until we wrap the show, and it can be found on the blog spot. It's called Road to Rap. R O A D T O W R A P dot blogspot B L O G S P O T um, dot com and yeah become a member you know keep track of us uh, it's an interesting journey for him I mean even for me to read it and see like how he his, gained his perspective as he goes through this trip of making his first film his feature film you know so uh, trust us is the name of it it's a science fiction uh, project about time traveling. It's a, it's a very fun project. Brings a lot of conversation. <laughs> and that is that is awesome. And you are also on Facebook, and he is on Facebook as well. And, yeah. uh, and Twitter. And, and, and Twitter. Yeah, uh, my name is Master Kurt on Twitter. Master Kurt. Master Kurt. Yes. <laughs> very cool. M a s t e r c u r t. Yes. All right, Master Kurt on Twitter, so they can follow you on Twitter. Well, Curtis, you have been fabulous. I will call you in just a couple minutes. We'll we'll talk and we'll try and uh, find out when I can have you back next, and we'll let the listeners know. And then we'll talk more about Trust Us and about producing and about First Aid England. This has been a fabulous uh, a wealth of information for filmmakers. I certainly do appreciate it, and, uh, and I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you and to yours, and, and uh, may they be merry. And uh, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Same to you. All right, man. I'll talk to you in a couple of... All right. Uh, that is Mr. Curtis Smith. And, wow, this time has flown by. You know, as he said, you know, you know, his day, a 12-hour day, flies by. Well, it flies by when you're talking to him, too, because it's about focusing your mind and, and all the different things that you have to pay attention to while you're working. And there's so much uh, information and uh, so many questions and so many things uh, about producing movies that I like to talk and ask about that the, that the time just just shoots on by. I want to thank everybody for joining us live or archived. I want to remind you to please share this website, these interviews, these podcasts with each and every one of your industry friends and contacts and filmmakers, buddies around the world. Uh, please do so through Twitter, through Facebook, through your favorite social media means, through Google+. Um, but do spread it. And please leave comments after the, at, at, the, at the player site meaning that uh, when you click on the link and the player starts to play, sometimes that comment window is right underneath the player and it's visible depending on which browser you use, and other times it's not visible until the player shuts down, and then it's revealed. Why that is, I'm not really sure, but please do leave comments there. Also, rate and review and leave comments at the podcast. That helps us extend our reach, makes us more visible on the Internet, and hence more popular uh, when you do that, and so more people can find us. I really would appreciate it if you would do that. Follow us on um, on Blog Talk, friend us. You can subscribe right there. And uh, and as we said, Curtis has a uh, Twitter, Master Kurt on Twitter. Uh, Rob Smithline, if I remember right, it was rsmithline54. And if I'm not correct, go back and check uh, his interview. It was just the other day. Look up Rob Smithline. And, uh, and you want to listen to that one anyway. Um, follow me on Twitter. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. That last word is abbreviated. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. Uh, you can also find the Rex Sykes Movie Beat uh, YouTube channel. 
and Rex Dykes Movie Meet Friends on Facebook. Please go ahead and uh, and go to the Facebook page and like it and, and join us there. Uh, I, again, I appreciate Curtis being here so much today. It's so much valuable information. And I appreciate all of my guests as well. Stay tuned because I've got a lot of great more guests coming up in the near future. I've got Peter Marshall coming back. We're going to continue the director series. Then I'm going to have Anthony Mangdell, acting coach and director, up before the end of the year. And then we'll take a break. We'll have... Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's, you know, whatever holidays there are. May they be happy and be the merry. And then we'll come back after the first year with uh, lots more exciting guests. So, everybody, have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>